Live from Indianapolis, Indiana, this is Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line. I'm Michael Rydelnik. I'm professor of Jewish studies and Bible and the academic dean at Moody Bible Institute. And I am joined, as you can hear, by a wonderful live audience right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Normally, we take your phone calls, but today, these terrific folks who are joining us are going to be asking all the questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Trisha McMillan is, as always, our producer, but she's our live producer today. Uh, also, all the technical aspects of the program are going to be handled by Chris Seagard here in Indy, and Courtney Young is holding the fort then in Chicago in the, in the booth there. Thank you, Courtney, for doing that. She doesn't get to travel. She has to stay in the booth. Poor girl. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be with you. Before we even get started with your questions. People are gathering, they're getting up to the microphones and they're going to ask questions. What I'd like to do is tell everyone on the radio and here about our current resource. Uh, we always have a resource. Our current resource is a very helpful tool. It's called 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible by Colin Smith. Obviously, we need to read and study and meditate on God's Word, but sometimes it's a challenge for us because it's hard to understand for some of us and for all of us, I think, at times. And that's why Pastor Colin Smith wrote 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. It's a very small book with a very big impact. It gives the big picture of how to read the Bible, and it will help us unlock the deeper truths, deeper understanding of Scripture. It'll help you get more out of your Bible. It's a simple and helpful guide. I really encourage you, and we want to send it to you as a thank you gift for a gift of any size, we're going to send you a copy of 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. If you would like to get a copy of that, uh, we're happy to send it to you. We want to say thanks. And the way to do it is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Remember, when you give, be sure to ask for 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. Well, we're going to get started with questions right now. And we're going to get started right here. Go ahead with your question. Good morning, uh, Dr. Adelnik. Um, I have a question, and it's... What, who, uh, who are you? Oh, my name is Chad. <laughs> and sorry. where are you from, Chad? Uh, I'm from uh, Lebanon, Indiana. Lebanon. Yeah, wow. Lebanon. All the way from the yeah. Middle East, right here. Great. <laughs> uh, my question uh, is uh, in reference to Zechariah uh, 14, uh, verses 16 through 19. Uh-huh. And uh, we're given a reference, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, that's going to be celebrated during the Millennial Kingdom. Uh, will that, the feast, the Feast of Sukkot, will that be the only uh, feast or festival that's celebrated during the Millennial Reign? You know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, actually, uh, yeah. the, the Bible doesn't tell us that there, the other feasts won't be celebrated. It does tell us that this feast will be celebrated. I think the reason the Bible specifies this is that Sukkot or the, the Feast of Booths, mm -hmm. Tabernacles, some people call it, uh, is a festival that really emphasized the time when the knowledge of the Lord would, would in, inhabit the whole earth, that the Lord will be honored and worshiped by all people in the millennial kingdom. And uh, that's what Sukkot always pointed forward to. 
And so when we come to the, uh, the millennium, the time when Jesus is reigning from Jerusalem, everyone will have to come because that's what this festival was about when, when the whole world would know him. And it even says, I think it's so interesting when you look at it, that even Egypt, the ancient enemy of Israel who had enslaved Israel back before the land of Israel was even taken by the people of Israel, uh, you know, we're talking 1400 BC is the exodus, even Egypt's going to have to come up and celebrate on that day. And the whole world will send representatives, I'm sure, to worship the king and celebrate the festival of booths. So that's what Zechariah tells us. Uh, and if Egypt doesn't come, no rain for them, it says. And I think that's what it's going to be for any nation that won't participate. The, yeah. they, they, there's going to be some consequences. So as a result, all the nations will indeed come and worship the king at the Festival of Booths. All right. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Good morning. I'm Nancy Vandosky. I'm from Greenwood, Indiana. My question's kind of in the same, same tone here. Do the Jews believe that Messiah will come during fall feasts, and why? Do Jewish people believe that Messiah will come during the fall feasts? Let me just say, I think more Gentile Christian authors believe that. Uh, <laughs> To be truthful, you know, they've written books like 88 Reasons Jesus Will Return in 1988, and it was going to be on Rosh Hashanah at the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, people associate the trumpet with the trumpet of the rapture, and so as a result, they will, they say that it takes place on the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, I don't think Jewish people who don't know the Messiah, they don't think that uh, Messiah will come at Rosh Hashanah at the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, I think that I would like to believe that because then I could write a book and make a lot of money uh, if I wrote something really sensational saying when the Lord would return. The only problem with that is the Lord said no one knows the day or hour of his coming. I have this bias, this implicit bias that I don't know the day or hour of his coming but I suspect it won't be on Rosh Hashanah just to, to prove all those people wrong who wrote that. So, no. Okay, thank you. Good morning, Dr. Rydelnik. My name is Melissa, and I'm from Noblesville, Indiana. Uh, my question is in regards to Matthew 17:3 On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear and talk to Jesus. Are Moses and Elijah in heaven? And if so, on what basis, since this is before Jesus' death and resurrection? Why were they in heaven? Oh. Why wouldn't they be in heaven? I'm wondering why you asked that. Well, I'm, because the Messiah hadn't come yet, so is there hope, the reason that they're there in the hope of the coming Messiah? Because sins had not been conquered oh, by the yeah, oh, 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 I get it. I understand. Uh, okay. A lot of us think, mistakenly, that people in the Old Testament didn't know the Lord or didn't experience eternal life when they passed. Uh, of course, uh, y yes, they were looking forward to the Messiah and forgiveness of sin. The, the, as the book of Hebrews says, that, that the sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats, don't take away sin. It was based on sort of a, a promissory note that when Messiah came, he would take away sin. Uh, and, you know, God is above time. So 
this is an eternal transaction and Messiah, Messiah's uh, atoning death and resurrection applied not just to uh, saints, people who believed after he came, it applied to everyone and it was applied to them in anticipation in time that they would. Uh, so genuine believers like uh, people who called on the name of the Lord in the time of Genesis uh, where it says that the descendants of, of Seth, people began to call on the name of the Lord, Noah, God, the godly remnant of Israel, Daniel, Joseph, all those people, they knew the Lord. And here's a good example, the parable. Now, I know it's just a parable, so it didn't ha actually happen, but parables are based on real-life experiences. And Lazarus, when he passes in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, where does he go? He goes into heaven, and he's being comforted by Father Abraham. Abraham's bosom is not a location like some people think in, in Sheol, someplace that you're released after the Lord Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. But it's, he was brought into heaven, and he's being comforted by Father Abraham, who is there. So, uh, yeah, people, people will be in heaven before, uh, before that. So in Matthew 17, 3, I thought you were going to ask that Moses and Elijah appeared, and you, people often ask me, how did Peter and the other disciples there know that it was Moses and Elijah? I thought that was going to be your question. And it's simple. They wear name tags. So... <laughs> That's the only thing I know. So I don't know if they really wear name tags, but I think the conversation would have led them to know who they were. So, okay, thanks. Thank you. Let's do one more. Good morning, Dr. Rydell. Like, my name's Jerry. I'm from Dyer, Indiana. Wow, that's far from here. That's a couple of hours, isn't it? Right, right yeah. across the border. Yeah. Wow, you, 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 you made a long track. Thank you. It was worth it. Uh, in Matthew 17, verse 4, Peter wanted to build three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. My question, explain the three shelters and why Peter wanted to build them. Again, the idea of the Feast of Sukkot booths has to do with the millennium. It was always anticipating the future messianic reign in, in the land of Israel, right? And so clearly in Matthew 16, what does Peter say? At, the, at the, his great confession, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then he sees Moses and Elijah, Elijah being the forerunner of the Messiah, Moses being the one who first told of him in the, in the Pentateuch. He thinks, we're in the kingdom. Now's the time to build booths. And so that's why he builds once a booth for each one to, to commemorate uh, the Messiah and these two forerunners of the Messiah. That's why. So anyway, hey, we're going to take a break here. And... When we do, when we come back, we'll have more questions asked by this live audience in Indianapolis, Indiana. If you're listening, you think, I wanted to ask a question today, just go to our website, openlineradio.org, and you can click on Ask Michael a Question. You can leave your question there for the mailbag. Till then, we'll be, we'll be right back, and you're listening to Open Line with Michael Rydonic. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line with Michael Rydelnik. This is a live audience today from Castleview Church in Indianapolis. I'm so grateful for Castleview Church allowing us to use this facility for 
our live open line today with a live audience. It's going to be a great day, and uh, it's not just open line for this audience. We're going to have about three hours of teaching after lunch. We're going to uh, study the fall feasts of Israel. Great time here. Grateful for Ray Hashley, who is the station manager of Moody Radio Indianapolis, or Indiana, I guess. And uh, I'm grateful. He has me here every year or two, and grateful to be here with all of you. And joining me right now is the morning host, one of the two morning co-hosts of Moody Radio Indiana's morning show, Kelly Thompson. Hey, Kelly. Hey, good morning, Michael. Yeah, we, we talk all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, we do. Okay. It's been a few years. Yeah, so Kelly and I talk every Wednesday morning on the local station here. I get to answer some Bible questions for a half hour early in the morning on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. It's not so early here because it's an hour later than Chicago, but I get up early mm -hmm. to do that. And uh, it's always fun. And uh, I get to send pictures of my grandkids to Kelly. She appears to be the only one besides Eva and I that cares. Did you so, bring any new pictures? I did. Okay, because yeah. I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, I'll show them to you, okay. I promise. Okay, so uh, <laughs> how long have you been doing this here in Indy? In Indy, oh my goodness, 22 years. Wow, on this station? Uh-huh. Wow, it's amazing. They don't know you real well yet. That, that no, we're still this. just getting to know each yeah, other. Right, yeah, right, right. We're That's just starting good. to warm up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and who's your, who's your co-host? Steve Hawker. Now, Steve is here. I saw him around. He's actually from Long Island. Mm -hmm. uh, where I served for 10 years, led a Messianic congregation on Long Island, as we say. <laughs> yeah. and, and I have so much fun talking with him about the island, uh, which is, you know, it's the inside world of New York, mm -hmm. and, which doesn't, no one here in the Midwest understands. It sounds like a scary place to us. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. I'm afraid. Yeah, that's why we laugh. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, uh, tell me about the morning show and, and what its role is here in this community. Because we have Moody Radio morning shows a lot of, all over the country, uh, but th everyone has a distinctive relationship with their local community. Oh, yeah. Well, the morning show here, I, I feel like our, our role here in this community, first of all, I mean, look at, you know, we have a live audience, obviously, here this morning, mm -hmm. and there are so many more listening right now that couldn't be here, couldn't cram everybody into the church mm -hmm. this morning, but very much uh, we view our audience as family, not mm -hmm. just faceless listeners, it's family. And um, we love to engage our listeners, and uh, our role is to come alongside our listening family, but they come alongside us just as much. We are very, when I say family, we're very much family. Um, we're very engaged in prayer, and that is reciprocal. Not just us praying for them, but man, we hear from them. If we have a prayer request, Michael, they are all over it. It is very much it's a community it's community yeah. very much it's community it, it's it's a small group that's very large <laughs> yeah you know I, I recognize that because radio is I think the most intimate of medium uh, mm -hmm. media uh, out there yeah and and people come up to me they recognize me sometimes in the grocery store and they come up and start talking to me and I'm looking at the person smiling thinking do I know you and and then they look at me and they finally say oh I listen to you on the radio and I'm like oh and it feels like we're old friends uh-huh Be because they you know we're alone in the car together or yeah. you know they're cleaning house and I'm yeah. there in their house cleaning the house and that's mm -hmm. what it's like for you too right exactly like that I've yeah. had people pull a camera out of their purse can I get a picture with you and it's just it's a lot of fun but you, you really are like family mm -hmm. and isn't that what we're going to be like in heaven yeah, I mean exactly. we are bound together yeah now I just uh, I met with some moody radio listeners last night and 
I, I just had a little brief word for them, and it was from Second Kings 1. And it's, it's a great story where the, the king of Israel sends to the, it's great, go inquire of Baalzebub. That was the name of the false god of Ekron to ask if I will recover from this injury. And God sends Elijah to say, hey, don't you think there's a prophet in Israel that you could ask this of? Mm -hmm. And uh, so the king sends 50 men to kill Elijah, and fire comes down, gets them, and sends another 50 men. Fire comes down. And, <laughs> and then the third group of 50 men come, and he, the leader says, please don't kill me. And <laughs> but God sends him. And, and the message that Elijah has is, is it because there's no God in Israel for you to inquire of his will? I think, and I just want your feedback, so often in our culture, people are going to get help and guidance from the false gods of our culture. You know? Oh, all the time. And it's one of the great things of Moody Radio and what you do, tell me how you try to fulfill this, is to give the true message of God's word to our listeners in the morning. So it's not just, it's not just uh, weather, Time, traffic. Mm -hmm. No. What, what are you trying to do in the lives of our listeners on, on the morning show? What we are constantly trying to do is take them back to the Word of God, the truth, and we do that, uh, we do that in love, of course, and we don't want to, to beat people over the head oh, no. and, and be harsh with it, but we take them right back to the truth of God's Word because people are constantly, they're, they're looking for truth, mm -hmm. but they're going to the wrong places, and sometimes... Uh, sadly, that can even happen within the context of the church. People are desperate, but they're not going where they need to go, and that is to the Word of God, and that is where we seek to take them through our Bible teaching programs, through what we're doing on the morning show. Yeah. I um, love it that, you know, you have me answering Bible questions, well, which yeah. I'm grateful for, but I've, I've, you know, I listen sometimes on the Moody Radio app, mm -hmm. and I hear that whatever you have, whenever you're interviewing someone, you're using uh, the opportunity to direct people back to the Word of God, to understand finance, understand counseling, understand problems, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's always directed through the Word of God, and that's your guests that you interview. And so well, absolutely, and, and we're, we're all about biblical world view because exactly. there are too many worldviews out there, yeah. but only biblical worldview. Now, if someone goes to the wrong place, a different radio station, you don't call fire down from heaven and get them, do you? Uh, no, that's no, too that's, much effort. That's... We just take them right back to the yeah. Word. We try okay. to show love, okay. Michael and Grace. Okay. <laughs> Steve might do that, but you don't, right? That's no. Yeah. No, 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 no. No calling fire down from heaven. Only Elijah no. does We that. don't have that kind of power. No. <laughs> Well, anyway, I so, I'm so grateful for all that you do on Moody Radio. I'm so grateful that you guys ha have me on every week. It's so much fun. Uh, oh, it is a blast. Yeah, and yeah. people absolutely love having you come on and, and spend the time to answer questions. And not just that, but the, what you share, the things that you're willing to talk about, because you address cultural issues, too, and you've taken the time to actually teach and not... And answering the questions is important, but when you address different cultural issues and you've spent time teaching about anti-Semitism and opening our eyes to that and the mm -hmm. things that we need to know, those things are important. And thank you for that because we always get great feedback and people will say, I didn't know. Well, I'm always glad to be with you guys. You know, uh, there's some stations say, that guy's a little too New York for us. But you guys. Oh, no, we'll take it. We can handle it. it. I appreciate it. Okay. They're tough. They can handle it. <laughs> okay, thank you. We're going to go back to questions now. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for being here. And, oh, I do love Kelly and Steve. They, me too. They've been through life with me. The word is it. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, my question, I'm Ellen from Indianapolis. Uh, my understanding, uh, my question is around the Feast of Tabernacle and the Pool of Shalom. If I say it right, Shalom. Shalom, yeah. Shalom. In Hebrew, Shaloach. Yeah, what okay. he said. What he said, right. I don't want to put the spit on the microphone, you know. Okay. Uh, uh, is this the same pool, first of all, is this the same pool where the paralytic was healed? No. Okay. That's not, that was off. Okay, the question is, <laughs> Levites go to the pool of Shalom to gather running water in giant vessels to bring to the pool and the altar to pour out on us. My understanding from the chosen people's news thing. Mm -hmm. It's the word running water and pool that have me a bit confused. Is it not a pool that's still? Or it's, Can you just elaborate? Sure. It's living water is what... what it, it means, uh, the Hebrew word that they use is living water. And what living water means is not stagnant. It's not just gathered from rain. What it is, is there's a spring in Jerusalem that feeds the pool. And that's why it's living water, because it doesn't it's not just collected by rain. It's uh, water that, that comes up out of the ground, living water, running water. And it, it collects in the pool. And that's what they bring for the water libation in the temple they did that. On the seventh day of Sukkot or something? Yeah, on Hoshana Rabbah, the last day of the Another festival. Verse. I'm learning. Okay. Thank you very much. Hoshana Rabbah is the last day of the Festival of Booths. It Ooh. means the great Hosanna. Praise okay? the Lord. And if you read uh, in John 7, it says that the Lord Jesus went to Jerusalem on the seventh day of the feast. Is that when he to proclaim, I am? That's what he, he crucified said, for. They he, throw the stones for him. Yeah, and he says, uh, uh, anyone who believes in me, rivers of living water yes. will flow from his innermost being. Thank so. you. Well, I thank you for filling my cup to overflow so I can do to somebody else. Thank okay. you very much. Thank Have you. a blessed day. You too. Thank you. Hi, my name is Meg from McCordsville, Indiana. And I would love for you to comment on why the Pharisees like Nicodemus, were well, who were well aware of the prophecies, could not see that Jesus was the Messiah. Why is it so hard for us humans to see what is right in front of our eyes? Mm -hmm. And the question also is, do we know what happened to Nicodemus, and what are we to take um, from his example in the Bible? Well, first of all, I think Nicodemus ultimately did see and the way the Gospel of John portrays him is that first he comes to inquire of the Lord Jesus by night. And then he uh, defends the Lord Jesus uh, at, before the Sanhedrin. And by the end of the book, he believes. So Nicodemus does believe. Uh, he's not just, I don't know how to put it, uh, sort of a closed-minded guy. He's very, and I think that's really important because so often we think the Pharisees had no insight, no openness. That's, the Pharisees are portrayed in, uh, I think, a mistaken way by our reading of the New Testament. Uh, not that the New Testament uh, doesn't portray them accurately. If you read rabbinic literature, there are seven kinds of Pharisees, six of whom are hypocritical and problematic in the Jewish writings, in the Talmud. So... So uh, the New Testament is portraying them exactly the same way the Jewish writings do. But there's that seventh kind that the rabbis write about, and also there's Nicodemus and others in the, the Gospels who are people who are sincere and desirous of, of knowing God. Uh, why is it they didn't understand the, 
the prophecies. I think it's hard sometimes. First of all, remember that Lord Jesus didn't come with a large M for Messiah on his tunic, you know. Uh, he looked ordinary. If you read the prophecy of Isaiah 53, he didn't look like he had a whole lot of charisma. He wasn't like someone that drew people to himself in that way. It was his message and his actions that drew the crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I think very important for us to see. Uh, I often think of him when you think of the incarnation, we have to think of not Superman, but Clark Kent, you know, very ordinary. Uh, that's one thing. And then also, I have this example in Second Kings when there was a famine, there was a siege of Samaria, and Elisha says, tomorrow, the, the price of food's going to drop dramatically. And the answer is, hey, if if the windows of heaven opened, right? The windows of heaven opened, it still wouldn't break the, the famine. So how can you say that? And Elisha says to the king's steward, you'll see it, but you won't experience it. Well, it turns out these uh, lepers go in and they see that the Arameans who had surrounded the city had left and they had all the supplies and the people run out there and get the food and the price of food drops dramatically. And what happens? The, the steward sees it but gets trampled and doesn't get to experience it. That's the point. The prophecies were fulfilled literally, but no one could anticipate how it would happen. And that, that's, I think, what happened with the Lord Jesus. The prophecies were fulfilled literally, but it was hard to see how they were going to be fulfilled. And that's why we miss it. Uh, we have to be open with our eyes. We'll be right back with more of your questions right here on Open Line with Michael Reitel. back. Here we are. I'm Michael Rydelnik, and I am in, on the road in Indianapolis, Indiana, with a live audience asking the questions today on Open Line. So grateful for them doing that. Uh, besides uh, them being here, I wanted to talk about something before we get right back to questions, something that I think is really crucial, uh, that uh, people have been asking me, and you, how many of you here listened last week? Did anyone listen last week? Do you remember my friend William Washington, the Vice President, Dean of Student Life at Moody, called me, and he asked me, how many kitchen table partners are there? And I had no idea. I knew there were a few. But uh, I'm so grateful for our kitchen table partners. I'm grateful for every listener. Uh, but the kitchen table partners are people who have decided that this program has been an encouragement to them. They want to keep it on the air and... Uh, they've been they've benefited. They've grown through the program, and so they commit to give monthly. And William has been challenging me because Dr. Job, our president, wants to double the impact of Moody. And one of the ways that we can double our impact is if we can double our number of kitchen table partners. It can uh, enhance the program, get it further out there. And so uh, he's he said, "Okay, how about we?" pray that the Lord will double the number of kitchen table partners, which is why he called me to ask how many are there. And I didn't know. Can you believe that? So I checked. And guess who I checked with? Trisha. <laughs> who told me there are 538 kitchen table partners. So I'm just thrilled about that. 
But I can't imagine what the impact could be if we had a thousand kitchen table partners. That would be terrific. And I would just like to encourage you, if the, the Lord has encouraged you, taught you, uh, made this program helpful to you in your life, if you're listening and you think, yeah, I'd like to become a kitchen table partner too, uh, that would be a great way uh, to double the impact I think, of this program. And so we're praying that this year we go from 500 to 1,000 kitchen table partners if the Lord lays it on your heart. And by the way, if you do, I send out every other week a special uh, Bible study moment just designed for our kitchen table partners. And uh, it's just a little audio Bible study. You get in the email, you click on it, get to listen to it. And I've been going through misinterpreted Bible verses in the last few months. And it's been a lot of fun just hitting a different verse that's been misunderstood. Sometimes I have a guest on like Eva Rydelnik or Michael Van Lanningham or someone like that. Or sometimes I do it by myself. But it's a lot of fun and we have a good time with it. Someone also asked me recently, what's the minimum gift amount? There isn't any minimum gift amount. If, whatever a person wants to give, if they feel led of God, go ahead and do it. But if it were me, I'll tell you what, if I were going to give a gift, I would commit to $30 a month. And I'm going to tell you why. It's the Janet Partial amount, because what does she say if someone commits to $30 a month? Let's go shopping. That's what she does. But the reason she says that is because if you uh, commit to $30 a month, then the entire Moody Publishers catalog becomes, I think it's 50% off. And wow, you know, I, I buy books sometimes. I, I want to have my uh, paycheck just sent directly to publishers, you know. <laughs> So that, that would be a great savings. It's a great idea to do it that way. Anyway, if you want to become a Kitchen Table Partner, all you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And we're going to go right back to questions right now. Good morning. My name is Carolyn. I'm from Rushville. Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things below belong to the Lord our God. This is a verse that I reference when I cannot explain something. Me too. Such as Jesus before time began in Genesis 1-1. Mm -hmm. So are there other verses that show that we are not meant to know? <laughs> are there other verses like Deuteronomy 29-29? Mm -hmm. Well, I often uh, refer to Deuteronomy 29-29 when I deal with the issue of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. You know, the Bible says God's sovereign over everything. It also holds us accountable. And if you read Romans 9, uh, the unseen objector, Paul uses throughout the book of Romans an unseen objector, and he answers their objections. He'll say, you will say. And then he usually answers it with, may it never be, what they're saying. You know, so that's, there's this unseen objector, and when he talks about God being sovereign over everything, that he is, we are, he's the potter, we're the clay. When he emphasizes God's sovereignty, the unseen objector, he says, uh, you'll say, why, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Okay? So if God's sovereign, why does he find fault with us for... He, it's his fault, right? Not mine. And I love, I, would, I remember the, the very first time I read that, about 50 years ago. I was reading the book of Romans for the first time, 
And I got to that. And that was a question that really bothered me. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to read the answer to that question. And do you know what the answer is? Uh, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? And uh, I was thinking about that verse where it says that in Romans 9. I'm from New York. It's the, hey, shut up. Is the, <laughs> if Paul were from New York, that's how he would have uh, answered it. Uh, and so that's kind of a verse like Deuteronomy 29, 29. Who are you, old man, to answer back to God? It's just Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a lot nicer in the way it puts it. Uh, but still, I think that that's along those ideas. That Also Isaiah 55, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. And so there are things that God can comprehend that we can't. But I have another verse for you that's really encouraging, Okay. It's Isaiah 48, 16. It says, Behold, from the beginning I have not spoken in secret, meaning everything that God wants us to know, he's revealed in his word, and we don't have to worry about those things that we can't understand. We just have to trust him with those. Yes. So, okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Good morning, Dr. Delnick. Uh, my name is Bill. I'm from Zionsville, Indiana. And I have kind of a two-part question. When did the Jews stop the sacrifice? Was it before or after the crucifixion? And then why have they not resumed since they don't believe that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice? Okay. The Jewish people, by the way, you notice how I always say Jewish people? Did you notice that? I don't say Jews. Sorry. No, no, don't be offended. I'll just give you a little clue. You meant nothing by it. No one means anything by it when I hear it. But I understand how Jewish people hear that. Uh, Jewish people never like being called Jews. Why? They are. The reason is, this is a, just a little history of anti-Semitism, Jewish people were taunted in Europe before the Holocaust, in Eastern Europe, in Russia, in Poland, places like that. Whenever they would, uh, uh, when people would come, they would taunt them and say, Jew, Jew, Jew. And so it's made Jewish people sensitive to that taunt. And so we talk about the Jewish people rather than the Jews. So that's just, you didn't mean that, but I'm just letting you know that's the history why Jewish people prefer being called the Jewish people. Uh, of course, Israelis, they don't care. <laughs> I think that's so funny because they, they, they see themselves as this new breed. Uh, some Israeli athletes were once at a thing and everyone's going, Jew, Jew, Jew at this uh, competition. And, and the Israelis weren't getting upset. And they said, well, why aren't you getting upset? And they said, well, we are Jews. So, uh, so but uh, most American Jews would prefer to be called Jewish people. Uh, Jewish people ended sacrifices A.D. 70 with the destruction of the temple. Okay. Uh, that's why. And it, they have not been reinitiated because there isn't a temple. And the sacrifices are just limited to being in the temple. So uh, that's, that's what, uh, why, I, and when there's going to be a temple, then sacrifices will be restarted. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Thank Great. you. Uh, let's go with one more quick question here. Good morning, Dr. Radanik. Yeah. I'm George from Indianapolis. For people born to all the religions and culture around the world, but have not heard the name of Jesus Christ, what is going to happen to them after death? 
please provide a biblical reference. Well, here's the thing. Everyone has heard sufficient truth to, uh, to alert them that there is a God that they should seek. Everyone has heard from God. Here's what it says in the book of Romans. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. That's uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Then he says at the end of the verse, as a result, people are without excuse. So the creation testifies to the existence of God. If anyone will respond to that information, I believe God will send them more information with the knowledge of Jesus. Uh, that's why Romans 10 says, how shall they hear without a preacher? You know, and how shall they go without being sent? We have to send people to everyone. We have to be ambassadors for the Lord and speak up. But the Lord says there is sufficient information uh, out there for people to respond to. If they don't respond to that, then it's only sufficient to condemn them if they don't respond instead of... But it, it should motivate them to turn to the Lord, okay, and seek more. And that's when God will send that preacher. That's when he'll have you talk to that person, okay? Thank you. Okay, thank you. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back... We'll talk about more of your questions. We've got another segment this hour, then a whole other hour with this live audience in Indianapolis, Indiana, having a great time here in the Midwest as we take live questions from this audience. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more of The Open Line with Michael Redelman. Welcome back. So grateful that you're listening today. We've got a live audience here in Indiana. Let me tell you about something that I think is really important. In Romans 10.1, Paul said his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. The apostle prayed for the people of Israel, a prayer that I think we too often neglect. And Chosen People Ministries apparently thinks that too because this year their Jewish art calendar that they give away every fall is a reminder to pray for the Jewish people. And so uh, it will have the great pictures of Israel and things like that, but also prayer prompts for how to pray for the Jewish people and particularly how they can, you, we can pray for them to come to know their Messiah, Jesus. It's a wonderful calendar. It's a great reminder. You know, the Jewish New Year starts in September, so the calendar starts in September, and it runs all the way through December. If you'd like a free copy of the Chosen People Ministries Jewish Art Calendar, the way to get it is go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll all the way down. You'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and it'll take you to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of this year's Jewish art calendar. And I think you're going to like it. We're going to go through our next question right here. Good morning, Mr. Rodelic. Uh, my name's Henry. I'm from Indianapolis. You can call me Michael. We're old friends. Uh, Michael. Okay. Uh, my question concerns the new moons. 
Okay. Uh, where did they come from? Why the did Israel begin to start observing them? And what's their relevance in the millennium? Well, the new moon just recognizes a new month, times and seasons. Uh, the, the point of the new moon actually is in the, on the fourth day of creation. It says, let's see if I can find this uh, real quickly. Fourth day, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs. Now, the Hebrew actually is not saying let them come into existence. It is saying this is their purpose. Let the signs be in order to. Let, let the, the luminaries be, the sun and the moon and the stars, be in order to uh, discern day from night. They will serve. They will also be to serve as signs for festivals for days and years. Okay? So... When God made the sun, moon, and stars, it wasn't just to tell us uh, day from night. It was to, it actually uses the word when it says signs for seasons and for days and years. This version, the, uh, the Michael Rydelnik official version, the HCSB, uh, says for festivals. But the Hebrew says for appointed times, which is the term that's used for festivals. So the new moon just helped clock out when the new season was coming because uh, we watched the new moon so that we could know when the festivals would be, which was designed for what, what, uh, what God wanted Israel to use it for. Uh, not sure what the significance of the new moon is in the millennium. That was something I'd need Eva to answer. So I'll, I'll wait for her to come up here later. Well, I'll ask her if she has an answer. But I, I do know that that's what it is. It's, I think it's the same thing, that festivals will be observed likely, and we count them off with the new moons in in the uh, millennium. That's what I guess. Okay? That's, I hadn't thought of that question before. So <laughs> that's what I think it would be. Yes? Go ahead. Um, my name is Dan Sinclair from Indianapolis, Indiana, Michael. I have a question that says, what is the difference between the bride of Christ and the body of Christ? No difference. No difference? There's no difference. The body of... The, you know, a lot of times, this is kind of funny to me, probably not to you, uh, I had a pastor who I love who often would talk about the bride of Christ. And he would talk about, you know, dressed in white and purity, and he would talk about it from the perspective of a bride. And the whole time I would feel really uncomfortable because I never, I, I don't think of myself as a bride happily. You know, that's not me. Uh, and so it, it made me uncomfortable. But then I, I realized that that is just one metaphor for the body of Christ or the church. Another metaphor is the body. He's the head, we're the body, you know, we're the parts. Uh, there are other ones. If you look at 2 Timothy 2, I believe. Yeah, uh, 2 Timothy 2, there's a whole bunch. Uh, workmen, uh, uh, warriors, you know, soldiers, things like that. So there are a lot of different metaphors for the church, one of which is the, the bride and the other is the body. So, I, I, and I think that there's a, a good portion of the body of Christ that identifies more with the bride metaphor than the other half that squirms like I do. So, okay, great. Thank you. Yep. Good morning, Dr. Rydalnik. I'm Laura from Dyer, Indiana. Hi. 
Um, in Matthew 17, there's mention of the temple tax. And um, I'm curious, is it, was the purpose to support the temple or to support sacrifices? Um, are there any required today, and especially with no more temple? Is there any? Yeah, tax? it's dues to pay in your synagogue is what it is. It's, uh, you know, we often, you know, in, in the church, what do we do? We pass the, the plate or the bag or there's a box in the back. In the synagogue, there's dues. And I think that's partially because of the history of the temple tax. But it's not really an autumn. It's just, well, we, this is what it costs. Uh, the temple tax was designed actually from the Torah. Uh, the, there, were, there were several tithes that were required. There was a tithe for the priests and the Levites. There was a tithe that went to the operation of the temple. Uh, and then there was also... Uh, a tithe for the poor, which was given over three years. So really, if you look at the Torah, uh, it was, they weren't giving 10%. They were giving 23 and a third percent. And they were also giving above and beyond that with other gifts. So when people start talking about tithing, I think, well, I've got good news for you. Uh, we're supposed to give generously in the new covenant rather than tithe, which wasn't a tithe, it was 23 and a third, like almost a quarter of their salary uh, and income went to that. But that was where the temple tax came from, and uh, there is none today. Thank okay. you. Yeah, well, uh, you know what? I just want to remind everyone uh, that we're here in Indianapolis, and this is uh, Castleview Church, and what a, what a great time it is that we're having here in Indianapolis with a live audience. I'm grateful for this church. The other thing that I think is really important to remember is uh, that we're going to have a teaching time. So if you are on a radio, listening on your radio, think, boy, I should talk to my station, see if we can do a local program here with a teaching time. Only Ray Hashley, the station manager in Indianapolis, knows to do that. So we're we going to be here this afternoon talking about the Fall Feasts of Israel. It's going to be pretty exciting and pretty fun. We're going to have a good time doing that. But uh, we're going to come back with another hour of Open Line in just a few minutes. That's the first hour. Keep listening. There's a second hour coming up. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. That page has links to past programs and current Bible study resource, even how to become a kitchen table partner. There's also a link to my personal webpage. If you want to see things about me and where I'm going, what I'm doing, you can check that out as well. Second hour of Open Line is coming up straight ahead with more of your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.